This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Cren, Sheila Highland. It's episode 34. Excited to be at the Heinz History Center, the Strip District in Pittsburgh, which is in and of itself a whole new place than it used to be back in the day, Sheila. A whole new place, yeah. Um, but still so much, if you look around here, it, so much hasn't changed. Like we have the Heinz 57 wagon behind us. Well, you have to come uh, inside to go backwards in time. Well, you do. Oh, I, I mean, I, I cannot believe that any Pittsburgher has not visited this place at least a couple of times. And we are excited. First of all, we have the president and CEO of the Heinz History Center, Andy Masick. He's so passionate about what he does, and he's brought so many tremendous exhibits. So thanks for hosting us today. Thanks for being here, and I think we'll talk some history, maybe make some history today. Ooh. We're up for that. And ironically, Jim Crenn had an event, and he was really jones in to come because you and jimmy Crenn here at the history center have a very unique history we go way back in in fact jim Crenn grew up in the alley behind the history yes. center mulberry yeah. way he'll tell you that story and yet when about uh, 15 20 years ago when we installed the first robot here at the history center to help people navigate through the history center uh, Jimmy Crenn became the voice of the robot. We're going to check that out later. I cannot believe he's not here to do that. I Give can, us I, an example of what you had him say. Well, uh, people would find our robot here in the Great Hall, and we had targets all around, and the, the robot could navigate around and interact with people, and they, he would teach them to speak Pittsburghese. And so you imagine Jim Crenn talking Pittsburghese, and he would explain the history, you know, the Scots-Irish-German roots of Pittsburghese. But then, when people got in the way of the robot, we had this protocol in which the robot would go into a Charles Bronson tough guy voice, which of course Jim Crenn has mastered, you know. Right. And, and so people would stop the robot or get in its uh, way, and then Charles Bronson would come on, and the people would back off their eyes big and wide, and then they'd call other people over, and then everybody would be trying to stop the robot from walking, and Charles Bronson would escalate 
you know, the confrontation. That's tremendous. So finally we had to dock the robot because, you know, people were interacting with it too much. But you have it. Yeah. On the second floor in our innovation exhibit, you can find one of Pittsburgh's first robots, and it's Jim Crenn's voice, uh, and you can push some buttons, and you can learn how to speak Pittsburghese. Andy, you're so eloquent. I, I seriously want to hear your best Pittsburghese. I just, oh. I just have to. He can do it. Come I on. heard it. Come on. I heard it just the other day. I, you know, when people get nebby, I, I tell them, you know, just back off. Uh, and, <laughs> Is he telling me politely to back off? And, Nebby? You know, <laughs> That's a Pittsburgh. You know, we're, we're all yinzers at heart. Uh, whether we sound like it or not, there's something unique about Pittsburgh and its people. And it comes out uh, sometimes when we're going downtown or, uh, you know, when we need a gum band for our Steelers poster or uh, when we, we just want some jumbo. You know, you, some days you just need a jumbo sandwich. So I saw sandwich. Andy, I saw on the way in this morning, I, I should have stopped and taken a photograph on the marquee at a church on McKnight Road. It said, Jesus saves yins. <laughs> I thought we've reached a whole nother level, yeah. but we're excited to be at the Heinz History Center. So much of what you've documented over the years, plus you bring in special exhibits too. And for those that don't know, you have a direct connection to the Smithsonian, which means, Sheila, you're breathing the freshest air of any indoor facility in America right now. We, we are? That's right. I, we, it, we have filters down to two microns uh, because because of the artifacts that we have here on loan from the Smithsonian Institution, we're required to have the highest standards of filtration and uh, the temperature and humidity is regulated and it, it never changes. So nothing ever deteriorates here. Uh, Larry hangs out Maybe here. Maybe I'll live here. Right. He's actually say, 100 years old, but he just comes do, down here. Do you need here. to just get a cot here? Well, we, we bragged about you during the pandemic because when you were starting to reopen, we made sure people understood in terms of that filtration it's even more important. So that's a little factoid. And then, of course, the connection with the Smithsonian has allowed you to bring some amazing exhibits, yeah. like standing in front of that command module, the, the Columbia capsule that went to the moon right. in 1969 with uh, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins and Neil Armstrong. You know, it was built by North American Rockwell, a Pittsburgh firm. And so when the Smithsonian decided that they had to close the Air and Space Museum for a redo, they said, okay, we can put the Columbia capsule on the road uh, for a short time and they had to pick four museums in America for it to go to. And they consider us their best affiliated museum. So we got first choice and the capsule came home to Pittsburgh and hundreds of thousands of people trooped past as if they could touch it. There was no glass between the people and the Columbia capsule that went to the moon. I know, and I so, felt that way. I, you know. Now it's behind six inches of bulletproof glass mm -hmm. back at the Smithsonian. It will never, ever travel again. So, you know, Pittsburgh was pretty special to have it. We were. I brought my son here to see that exhibit and was blown away, not just by the exhibit, but by how much technology has changed since then. Oh, yeah. You're like, really? It they was, it that was to an the moon? analog how did, world. I, I mean, your, your iPhone has 
more computing power than all of NASA had in 1969. That's remarkable. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Plus, you've also done a great job of documenting the robotics that have just exploded, and yeah. we've become a hub for that in the world here it's in true. Pittsburgh. You know, on the second floor of the History Center, we have the innovation exhibit. It's uh, 250 years of how Pittsburgh changed the world. And in there, uh, it's a chronological exploration. So in, you know, by, by date, in 1939, Westinghouse builds the first robot, Electro. Seven feet, one inches tall, bronze. He could walk, talk, recognize colors. He could smoke cigarettes. I mean, this guy was pretty advanced. And he was built for the 1939 World's Fair. And he just amazed the world. And so we have him upstairs in the innovation exhibit. And then it brings you right up to present with uh, Red Whitaker's uh, inventions and innovations in robotics at CMU, uh, right up to the latest exploration vehicles that will be on the moon later this year. Right. You know, Andy, I think Larry and I have been to a lot of museums over our short period in life. Uh, yeah, okay. I hope to anyway. be in one someday. <laughs> um, but it's important that you talk about the affiliation with the Smithsonian. I've been to Smithsonian museums, and they are incredible. But I'm telling you, outside of that, this is the most exciting, thrilling museum, bar none, that I've ever been in. I, my heart soars like a hawk <laughs> hearing that. And, you know, we're sitting in this big room, this cavernous great hall at the History Center uh, that was built in 1898 as the Chautauqua Lake Ice Company Warehouse. So they would store big blocks of ice here that were cut on the northern lakes during the wintertime, and then they railroaded them down to Pittsburgh. But in this great hall, we're, we're looking at, across the hall from us is the first Jeep in the history of the world. And it's on loan from the Smithsonian Institution. There's no older Jeep on planet Earth than that vehicle right over there. And it was built in Butler, Pennsylvania in 1940. That's incredible. And we are, as a native, so enamored with firsts and the connections that Pittsburgh has to so many other things, like the Jeep, like all of the other things that I know you talked when we had you on KDK Radio about the innovations that came out of the space program from Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, it, it's remarkable. The, the space program is just one example of how Pittsburgh, well, won the space race. Uh, it was North American Rockwell that uh, built that command module and most of the components for uh, the uh, the Saturn V rocket that uh, boosted that uh, vehicle into space. And the crawler, you know that crawler that moves rockets to the rocket launcher right. at uh, Cape Kennedy? Gigantic. It goes one mile per hour. It was built by the Hillman Company. Uh, and then the American Bridge Company uh, built the vehicle assembly building at, at the launch uh, station. That was the largest vehicle in the largest building in the world at that time because a, a rocket, a 400-foot rocket, had to be able to go into that thing on the crawler um, and stand vertically uh, within it. I mean, just think how big that is. That's uh. like a 40-story building, but the volume was immense. 
It was Pittsburgh technology that brought us those visual images of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon in 1969. Westinghouse cameras were specially built that could withstand 200 degrees below zero temperatures and 200 degrees above zero temperatures. Those are the extremes on the moon, depending on where the sun is beating down on it. So there are just so many Pittsburgh stories tied up with that space race and that, that great giant leap for mankind in 1969. Wow. It, it's so exciting to see how excited you are, Andy. And I've heard you talk before about how when you were a kid, you, you just had this affinity for history and you kind of knew where you were going in life. Yeah, Tell you, us about that. Your own family history well, is a big part of this nation. My family history goes back to Western Pennsylvania, even though I didn't grow up here. I, I moved here 25 years ago. But when I was a boy, you're right, Sheila, I, I was 10 years old and it was one summer up at Lake Chautauqua. My grandparents had an old Victorian house there and I would explore up in the attic and there were bats up there in the attic. Nobody went up in the attic, but I braved, I went through a trap door and I found my grandfather's old trunk and in the trunk was a cigar box and in the cigar box was a Civil War bullet, a mini ball, you know, a pointed bullet with a hollow base, 69 caliber. I didn't know what it was. I asked my grandmother, she didn't know what it was. Uh, she said, I don't know, grandpa was in World War I, maybe that's where it's from. So I drew pictures of it on white lined, blue lined notebook paper. I was 10 years old and uh, I, I drew a picture of it and wrote a letter to the Smithsonian Institution. And I sent it to them saying, what, what kind of bullet is this? And to their credit, one of those curators wrote back to me and said, well, son, uh, that's a mini ball invented by Captain Manet of the French Army in 1849, and it came out just in time for the American Civil War, and that's what made the Civil War the deadliest war in American history. You know, 750,000 Americans perished in that conflict. Well, I was hooked. I started collecting Civil War bullets. I, uh, I made... Uh, display cases in my bedroom, my boyhood bedroom, remember I'm 10, uh, I made paper mache hats, wooden swords, the monitor and the Merrimack were made out of popsicle sticks, uh, and I had labels on everything, and get this Larry, you had to take a brochure in order to get into my room, there was a rack <laughs> on the door, uh, and I accepted well, donations. You were destined uh, for what you do. So by the time I was 11, I, I had my first museum, and I think you're right, I, the, the die was cast, and you know, the rest is history. Well, we got a lot of history to talk about, and I want to ask about the new exhibit, John Kane. We always like to know about names around the region, and you've done a great job over the years of uh, sharing, oh, is that who that's about? You know, like Swiss Helm Park and Frick Park and different building names. Who were those people? Yeah, I always Grand love that. Grand Street, The Strip, you know, where are those names from? We can talk about that. And we will. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Kren, Sheila Hyland, and Andy Masick here at the Heinz History Center. It's episode 34. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Kren, Sheila Hyland at the Heinz History Center with President and CEO Andy Masick. Jimmy is on assignment. He'll join us next week. Meanwhile, uh, Andy, 
I know you have special events along the way. Before we talk about your latest exhibit, John Kane, let's talk about a special night of history Friday, June 3rd. Friday, June 3rd, we're going to be celebrating our Western Pennsylvania history makers. And we've been doing this for nearly 30 years, and we choose people who have not just made a local impact, but who have changed the world for the better. And we've got an amazing lineup of people from Rocky Blyer, who needs no further uh, description. I mean, not only did he have a great Super Bowl winning football career, but he's been an inspiration to Americans uh, for decades now. And so we're, we're honored to honor Rocky. Uh, Luis Van Ahn, the, the founder of Duolingo. If, if you don't know about Duolingo, it's the largest language learning app in the world. I mean, we're talking about a billion people learning languages, 40 languages uh, from this uh, app. And Luis is at, uh, right here in Pittsburgh, uh, where the company was founded, and he's determined to help people learn mathematics and, uh, and art and music uh, using modern computer technology and, and uh, learning techniques. It, and, you know, he's also the guy that you can be mad at when the next time you have to do CAPTCHA, CAPTCHA, you know, uh, when you're trying to sign on and it says, oh, oh, prove that you're not a robot. Yes. Yeah. And so you have to say, oh, there are no signs in this right. picture. Right. Oh, he's to blame or, for that? Yeah. He's oh. the guy to blame. Oh. So I just want you to know. Uh, but it's a level of security. So even though he's not a household name, what he has done and brought to Pittsburgh, and again, many people might not know. They've heard of Duolingo, but maybe they don't know that he's started it here. I'm, I'm, I talked to him the other day, and I'm hoping to get Duo, the, uh, the green owl icon or logo that they use, uh, the first generation Duo. I'd love to have it in our innovation exhibit here at the that History Center. That would make Center. perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But other people that we'll recognize will be the Broadhurst family, you know, Eaton Park. Mm -hmm. You know, what's not to smile about there? And I used to cook at Eaton Park, you full did. disclosure. When they opened the Eaton Park outbound <laughs> on McKnight Road, I was working at Ponderosa. I was a baked potato fry and bun man. Of course you a were. A bun man. I always knew that you were a bun <laughs> yeah, man. But the, yeah. girls, the girls went for the steak guys, let's be yeah. honest. Uh, you yeah. know. And then I took a job as a cook for Eaton Park. So my running joke was they used to have a slogan, there's always something special cooking at Eaton Park. When I was there, they just didn't know exactly what it was. <laughs> <laughs> did, were you ever on Smiley Detail? Did you did decorate any Smiley cookies? No, that was a separate, you know, they, that was more of a sacred. Yeah, they're made in, in a laboratory, bakery. Right. Uh, yeah. a baking laboratory. Yes. But I'm and sure you, you can't just have anyone oh, yeah. <laughs> making that. I mean, uh, great family and great tradition yeah. here, and they mm -hmm. still do a tremendous job. You know, Martha Conley, uh, an attorney here, uh, will... Uh, also be honored, um, and Brianne McLaughlin uh, Biddle, uh, who is a two-time Olympic medalist uh, in hockey. She's a She's going to be on. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. How about that, Sheila? I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's pretty, pretty special. That's uh, Friday, June 3rd. And now let's talk about the John Kane exhibit. I, I would imagine you go through a process because you got to look out into the future and figure out what's coming far beyond what's here now, obviously. How did you come about 
John Kane as an exhibit, and who is John Kane? Yeah, who Kane? is John Kane? And, you know, I like the way you said that, Larry, that uh, we look to the future, and that's what the History Center is all about. We, uh, we study the past in order to make good decisions in the present and plans for the future. We're, we're a forward-looking educational institution, but the foundation of who we are and what we know is, is in our past. So when we were looking for an exhibit that might be inspiring for Pittsburghers today, we hit upon the self-taught artist, uh, John Kane. He came here as a 19-year-old in 1880 and uh, came from Scotland, and he started getting jobs in mills and mines. He painted houses, he painted railroad cars, and uh, he was a laborer. Uh, he loved America. He loved Abraham Lincoln and the story of how this democracy pulled itself up by its bootstraps. And then he had a tough life. He worked hard. He got drunk. He got run over by a railroad uh, switch engine uh, one night. Uh, the engine didn't have its lights on. John was blotto uh, and tripped on the tracks. Got his left leg severed whoa, how is he going to work now? And not only work, he was known to be a great boxer. He boxed gentleman Jim Corbett three rounds to a draw. So here's this fit, healthy, competitive guy who makes his living as a laborer, and now he's missing a leg. Well, he was irrepressible. He first carved himself a wooden leg, got back in the boxing ring, and won. Uh, he, he then picked up artist brushes, and as he was convalescing, he looked out the window of his uh, uh, room, bedroom, and saw Skunk Hollow, uh, where the Bloomfield Bridge is today. And he started thinking, wow, that's fascinating, those trains coming together, the smoke that uh, hangs over the city, the houses kind of marching up the hillside for all the workers, and he started painting them. N no, he never took an art lesson. He just started wow. doing it, and it's from the heart. Well, today he's recognized worldwide as one of America's great naive artists, uh, self-taught artists, and we have mounted the largest exhibition of John Kane paintings ever assembled. Uh, there are nearly 40 paintings that he did and many other paintings done by his contemporaries that allow you to see how different artists depicted Pittsburgh in the first decades of the 20th century. But for Kane, the thing that amazes me about him is this, this kind of positivity that flows from his brush uh, with all the adversity he's uh, suffered. And, you know, you've heard the story of Pittsburgh being called the Smoky City or hell with the lid off. Well, for Kane, the wind blows away the smoke. And what you see revealed are colorful houses and uh, colorful characters and... Um, a, a vibrant city that was his home, his adopted uh, home. And so when you come to see this exhibit, take a look for that. See the, uh, the, the positivity in these paintings done by this self-taught artist. That's and a great Andy, way to put it. And wasn't he in his 60s when yeah. he started painting? Well, he, was, uh, he started painting before that, but he was discovered 
at age 67 okay. at the Carnegie International. And to their credit, the uh, Carnegie curator uh, said, whoa, this stuff is really good. And, and uh, Kane apologized and said, well, you know, I, I was thinking of taking an art class. And he said, no, 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 don't. <laughs> uh, you know, you've arrived. And they, they featured his painting in a Carnegie International and then subsequent ones. New York curators and artists came to Pittsburgh and said, this guy's the real deal. And that launched his career. And it's nice that he got recognition while he was still, still alive, alive because, as we know, so many artists yeah. pass away and then they're discovered. You're right. Yeah. So the John Kane exhibit will be for how long? It'll be through the fall and uh, it's called the American Workman, Pittsburgh's John Kane, the life and art of an American workman. Uh, Max King and Lulu Lippincott have just done a book on John Kane. Uh, we're going to feature them here on June 15th for a lecture and if you want to learn more about John Kane, all the gritty details uh, come on June 15th to hear uh, Lulu and Max. What part of Pittsburgh did he spend most of his time? Well, you know, uh, when he was recovering, he was in that, uh, that hollow. Bloomfield. Bloomfield. Uh, but uh, Turtle Creek was another uh, place. He and his family moved around. Uh, he, uh, he was peripatetic, you know. He moved about. Uh, he didn't stay put uh, in any place too long. Uh, his wife and uh, two kids uh, were, were angry with him most of the time because, you know, he just couldn't stay put. Uh, but by the end of his life, he came home and reconciled with the family. Uh, and uh, a book was written about him called Skyhooks uh, by an author named McSwigan. And I think his wife finally came to appreciate him as not a great husband, but a fantastic artist and in a way a provider, even though you know, it wasn't painting houses or working in the mills uh, that made his fortune. It was art. Andy, you and I talked about this the other day, Sheila. I saw a documentary about geniuses, past and present, and what's the common thread? You know, what do these guys and women have that makes them uh, who they are? Mm -hmm. One of the things was an appreciate for art. Every one of them had an art appreciation as well as appreciation of the sciences. So. When, when people ask the importance of art, it, it is a major factor for expansion of the mind. Yeah. Because I used to think about hell with the lid off. Mm -hmm. You go up on Mount Washington back in the day, I'm amazed at the visionaries that saw what we have now was possible. Because at that time, it looked like it would never change. You and I were talking about this the other day, how uh, art informs science sometimes. Inspires, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and I think of, uh, of Gene Roddenberry, uh, who uh, was the creator of Star Trek, and someone asked him once, um, where did you get the idea for that you know, space adventure? And he said, well, it's really just wagon train in outer space. Uh, he was inspired as a, a kid watching wagon train, you know, the, that cr uh, bunch of people in covered wagons traveling across the continent, uh, having adventures and intrigues. And that's all Star Trek is. As we sit in front of the H.J. Hines hitch, which is uh, actually wrote on that one time 30 years ago. Yeah. 
We're, we're talking about a 12-foot-tall wagon that's packed with big boxes of pickles, and it has a giant 57 on it. You know, H.J. Hines was a little boy growing up in Sharpsburg, and uh, his mother had a garden, and his mother was a great canner. You know, she would can uh, pickles and horseradish sauce and sauerkraut and all kinds of things. And one day he said, Mom, can I sell some of this stuff? You know, I need some dough. And, uh, you know, if I put them in the wheelbarrow and took them downtown, I think people might buy them. And, you know, she said, okay, okay, <laughs> Henry, you know, knock yourself out. And so he loads up his wheelbarrow. He's 10 years old. Uh, and uh, wheels it downtown, comes home with an empty wheelbarrow and a pocket full of cash and says, Mom, what else you got? And, you know, she's starting to think, wow, that's a lot of work canning all this stuff. The kid's selling it all. So she made him work in the garden. They started their own business, uh, which became the largest food purveyor in the world. H.J. Hines Company, starting in 1869, was selling food on every continent except for Antarctica. And, uh, you know, people all around the world knew the Heinz products because they were safe and they were dependable and they were good. H.J. Heinz believed in the Pure Food and Drug Act. He was the big proponent behind it. Um, he took care of his employees. They would work for him for 40, 50 years. Uh, it, he was uh, a kid who, who made it on his own through dint of hard work and genius. Uh, he's the guy who said um, the key to success, it, it's not coming up with some amazing new invention or big idea, but it's to do a common thing uncommonly well. That's the key to success. And so he believed in that, but he was also an intuitive marketer. So you, you know the pickle pin that everybody has in their jewelry box here in Pittsburgh? I have one. Mm -hmm. Of course you do. We all do. Well, that started in 1893 when he was at the Chicago World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition, they called it. It was the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering the new world. So America wanted to put on the dog and show the world all the cool stuff we could do. Uh, George Ferris here in Pittsburgh invents the Ferris wheel. Uh, Westinghouse illuminates the fair with electric lights, first one ever. And and H.J. Hines is up on the second floor of the exhibit hall. Well, it, you needed a, to take a hundred steps to get up to the second floor of the exhibit hall. No elevators, no escalators. Nobody was going up there. So on the fly, he comes up with this idea. He prints up little gold-colored luggage tags and has little boys throw them around on the floor of the first floor of the exhibit hall. And men and women walking arm in arm uh, would catch the glint of gold out of the corner of their eye. And they'd stoop over and pick up the luggage tag. And it said, bring to the Heinz booth on the second floor for a free prize. Well, honey, let's go see what we want. And they trooped up the steps by the thousands, <laughs> by the hundreds of thousands. A million people came to the Heinz booth. He gave away a million pickle pins. And the New York Times did a story on him. It said, young entrepreneur who found himself in a pickle was saved by one. And, and that's how the legend of the pickle pin started. And that's that was so genius. Cool. And it's not a coincidence we're in the Heinz History Center. And the Heinz family still has a big footprint here. And their influence has been tremendous. 
Heinz Field and still Heinz Hall. You know, and here, uh, this is the Senator John Heinz History right. Center. So he's the, the great-grandson of H.J. Heinz. And so generations of Heinzes uh, left their mark on this city. Uh, John Heinz was tragically killed in a plane crash uh, in the 1980s. But uh, I think his, his spirit lives on here. He was a man of the people and uh, he believed in protecting our environment, he uh, believed in investing in people and talent uh, and, and sort of bringing home uh, the wealth uh, for future generations. We have so many Pittsburghers that, that are just like that. We, we were talking earlier before we went on the microphone about Frick, obviously, Carnegie, et cetera. I mean, it's just, there's so much history and so much talent and so many men and women that have contributed to Pittsburgh and what it is today, historically and, and, and likely going into the future, too. You're absolutely right. And uh, some of the women that uh, inspire me, one of them we, we just installed at the airport, a lifelike figure of Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly was a Pittsburgher. She was a, a teenager when she saw an article in the newspaper here saying, what are girls good for? Oh, well, that triggered uh, Nellie. She wrote a scathing uh, uh, rebuttal to the Pittsburgh Dispatch. And the editor was so impressed by this young woman uh, that he hired her. She becomes an investigative reporter. She blows the lid off of uh, abuses at insane asylums or madhouses, as they called them. Then she became the first woman war correspondent. And then she goes around the world in 72 days with just a little handbag and a change of underwear. And she makes it around. Jules Verne had written in the 1860s the around the world in 80 days myth. No one thought it was possible to do that. Nellie Bly, this, this little woman, five feet, two inches uh, tall, weighs 95 pounds, makes it around the world. Remember, this is before airplanes. She's going by steamship. She's going by camel. She's going by bicycle on foot in 1889. And so she's the world's greatest traveler. That's what they said at the time. So it's altogether fitting and proper that she is there at the Pittsburgh International Airport between Franco Harris making the Immaculate Reception and George Washington, a 21-year-old Virginian who made history here in 1754. That's remarkable. You mentioned Franco. want to talk about the sports section here, too. It's the 50th anniversary, as you know, of the Immaculate Reception this year. So it's going to be a big year for Franco Steelers fans. And I'll tell you how the NFL is going to recognize that. And Andy, for a Pittsburgh or anybody that's not been to the Heinz History Center, we want to give them a virtual tour so you can kind of give us the elevator pitch. When we return, this is Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Crenn, Sheila Highland at the Heinz History Center, episode 34. Larry Richard, unfiltered with Jim Cran, Sheila Highland. Jimmy will be back next week. He's he's working, Sheila. He's doing his thing. Oh, that's thing. what he you says. You know, he Larry. entertains. Yeah, that's what he says. Is he's just sleeping in. Stand up comedy working. <laughs> yeah, it can be. I guess it can be a dangerous <laughs> profession lately. Meanwhile, we're with the president and CEO of the Heinz History Center, Andy Masick. Uh, you're a guy that. You could sit here all day, and we would be just fascinated. We'd go from, th you know. 
floor to floor in this case. So we promised a little virtual tour, but let's start Franco Harris, 50 years since the Immaculate Reception, but the impact of that moment for our city right. lifted the entire spirit at a time when we were taking a plunge with the demise of the big, big steel as we knew it. And I know you've known Franco for many years now, and he's one of those players that came here, stayed here, continues to contribute to this community. So you have this tremendous sports section of the Heinz History Center. You're right. The second floor of the History Center is the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum. It's a museum within a museum, 20,000 square feet devoted just to sports. And you see Franco right at the entrance of it, and he's making the Immaculate Reception. We made two of those figures, one we put at the airport, then the other is here at the History Center. The one at the History Center is really special because we put wet plaster on Franco's face to make a perfect mold of him. And he said, Andy, this isn't gonna hurt, is it? And I said, no, Franco, trust <laughs> us. Uh, uh, we've never done this before. <laughs> and and so, uh, so when we pulled the plaster mold off, it kind of ripped out his beard hairs uh, <gasps> oh. in it. And uh, he was a good sport about it. Uh, but when we poured the positive, you know, the, the resin casting, those beard hairs got re-implanted in it. So we have Franco Harris DNA in our <laughs> figure here at the, so, you know, if anything ever happens in the future, let's say uh, the year 3000, the Steelers need uh, a fullback. Uh, they could probably clone Franco and like they did oh, Jurassic Park idea. Go to the Super Duper yeah. Bowl, which is probably, you know, the whole super, solar super system, super bowl. Uh, you know, will be competing in those days. And <laughs> we have such a rich history of sports, as you're aware. Uh, Mary Odom, you, you have a penguin exhibit, oh, yeah. pirates, so many great pirates. And you know, the hits just keep on uh, coming, uh, whether it's, it's uh, boxing or baseball. We have Mazeroski's uniform from the 1960 World Series with the champagne stains still on it. And the bat that he used to hit that walk-off home run uh, in 1960 against the New York Yankees. Talk about game-changer, world-changer, city-changing victory. And they still... In fact, they wrote it in a Bronx tale. Chaz yeah. Palmateri, who wrote and starred in, is still mad at Mazeroski, who's still with us. What did he say when he saw his own exhibit? You know, Maz is such a humble and quiet guy. He just nods his head and <laughs> smiles. He can't believe, <laughs> Sheila, I've known him over the years from different events, he can't believe that people still, A, remember him. And I said, Bill, I said, you have a statue of you that's been there since they opened PNC Park 21 years ago now. He goes, yeah, I know. They usually don't put a statue up on, unless you croak. <laughs> you know, there's something, any real Pittsburgher knows this. There are two things that characterize Pittsburgh people. Uh, and one is the love for the come from behind story. We just love it when people come from behind. Uh, and Michael Keaton used to uh, say to me, uh, you know, we, we love come from behind stories and we always play it like we're losing. Even if you're 20 points ahead, you're gonna play it like you're losing because you can't believe you could really win. And then the other thing is humility. Uh, you know, a, a humble 
uh, star or hero, uh, Franco Harris, uh, a Mazeroski, those are the kind of people that Pittsburghers most admire. And you know, I bet you've got a little section up there just saved for when the Pirates win the World Series again. It's just yeah. it's blank right it's now, coming. but it's going it's to happen. We've got some Maybe space not in our lifetime, but it's yeah. going to happen. But I think of Michael Keaton because he's been such a big movie star, but he still has that Pittsburgh, you know, he follows the yeah. teams and, and you know him well. He said something that always resonated with me about the stereotype of a Pittsburgher is Pittsburghers have a low tolerance for other people who think a lot of themselves. <laughs> In other words, don't toot your own horn. Don't play the big shot right. as don't, the chief. You as the chief, yes, yeah. Ambassador Rooney. Yeah. I'm not a big shot. Yeah. He walked for many years to yeah. the games from his house on the north side with fans, no yeah. security detail. Well, his, his father, the chief, uh, would box their ears if they played the big shot. And, and he would say to him, and Dan told me, you know, I co-authored uh, Dan's autobiography. Right? Which was fabulous, by the way. Thank you. But uh, he would, uh, when he heard that one of the Rooney boys had used their name, he says, I'm a Rooney, you know, you, uh, you, know, you can't do that to me. Uh, he and the chief found out about it. He said, don't you ever use your name like that. Don't ever play the big shot. Uh, so, I mean, they, they learned it from... Their roots. I, I never thought about that before. We do have humble sports stars here. Think about Lemieux. Think about Sidney Crosby. Crosby. Is yes. there anyone that works harder at their craft who is a bigger name who you hear less about outside of what he does? And, and again, it seems yeah. that Pittsburgh perpetuates that. That, that. That's that's the way we want our heroes. Yeah, that is the way we humble want them. Humble but great. We, although we do have, I don't know if it's they feel like it's a birthright, but we have a birthright to bitch about everything. You name it, we're going to complain about it. Maybe that's uh, the way it is everywhere. So, Andy, if I was coming here and I would say, Andy, it's so nice to meet you. I've never been to the Heinz History Center. Give me an overview of what you got going here. You know, I would ask them to start on the first floor and work your way up. Uh, a lot of Pittsburghers use the gravity method. They go to the top floor and they kind of work their way down because it's easier to walk downstairs. So <laughs> He's right. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, start at the ground floor because that's where our big changing exhibit is. Uh, right now it's John Kane and our big McGuinn gallery. But right here in the Great Hall, you know, you can see uh, the first stainless steel car in the world and you can see the Heinz Hitch and you can see the first fire engine in Pittsburgh history and you can see a Conestoga wagon and a trolley you can actually get on it. Yeah, the Conestoga wagon. I wish Jimmy was here because he's a cigar aficionado. That's where the, did you ever hear of a stogie? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Conestoga. Oh, really? I did not know Stick that. Out, Sheila. I, learned, huh. I learned that here, Sheila, that they used to bring in those wagons the cigars, right? Yeah. Now, we have that Jeep. Uh, that I mentioned to you. That's the oldest Jeep on planet Earth, so you'll see that. Then you'll go up to the second floor. That's where Pittsburgh, a tradition of innovation, can be found. And we've just added new sections on robotics and medicine. Um, you can learn all about the 1969 moonshot, uh, too. Go up to the third floor, and you'll find a discovery place for kids. They can actually design things, make things, invent things, touch things, break things. Uh, it's, it's a great kid area. And you can learn about Lewis and Clark starting their expedition here in 1803, right here in the Strip District. Uh, that's where they built their 50-foot uh, keel boat and shoved off in 1803. 
Uh, people think that St. Louis is the gateway to the West. I'm here to tell you, uh, Meriwether Lewis and Thomas Jefferson, then president, thought Pittsburgh was the gateway to the West. Obviously, they were correct. That's right. And then you go up to the uh, fourth floor, uh, you're going to learn about the Heinz Company. Uh, you'll see Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the actual sets from Mr. Rogers dating back to the 1960s. You'll see the neighborhoods of Pittsburgh. You know, there are 90 neighborhoods here in Pittsburgh, and they all sort of have a, an ethnic identity. So you'll see the carpatho russen section and the Italian section, Jewish uh, section, African-American uh, section, German. You know, it, it's a place where... Uh, grandparents bring their grandkids and say, where's our stuff? Uh, and, so, and, and then you can also see what's not on display in our visible storage vaults, uh, also on the fourth floor. You can learn about the African-American experience in Pittsburgh in our Slavery to Freedom exhibit. And you can learn about Pittsburgh's first big industry. And it wasn't iron, and it wasn't steel, it was glass. Glass uh, South Side. Yeah. I learned that from you. There were 40 glass uh, manufacturers. Didn't it used to be called Birmingham? Birmingham, yeah, that's right. I Ooh, learned this see, from Andy Mason. He listens. <laughs> I pay uh, attention. <laughs> and then you go up to the fifth floor, and you'll learn about the clash of empires, the French and Indian War, young George Washington arriving as a 21-year-old, and uh, it was a three-way struggle. American Indian people, French people, uh, British people, all struggling for power and dominance here in Western Pennsylvania in what became the first world war. That's what Winston Churchill called it. He said there was a, there was a first first world war and it started in Western Pennsylvania. What I wanna know is when people come through here, what do they say when they leave? What are some of the comments that you hear? Because I'm always just blown away every time I come here and it's as if it's for the first time. I can come here every single year and it's as if it's for the first time. I'm glad to hear you say that, Sheila, because real Pittsburghers go away walking a little taller and their chest is out uh, and, and when they bring out of town friends, you know, they're saying, see, I told you, you know. That's, uh, I've had that same experience because I brought people here who weren't familiar with Pittsburgh and they feel they have a sense of the region just mm -hmm. from coming to the Heinz mm -hmm. History Center. All right, who are some of the most famous people that have come through? I know there's been a ton and their reactions. Larry well, Richard being one of them. Yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> so many people have uh, traveled through here. When Abraham Lincoln came here in uh, 1861 on his way to Washington to be inaugurated president, he said Allegheny County was the banner county of the Union. That kind of tipped the balance in his uh, favor. And, you know, our country was on the verge of civil war then. And he spoke from the Monongahela House on Water Street overlooking the Monongahela River, looking at Mount Washington. And he said, there's no crisis but an artificial one. And he pointed across the river to the south uh, and said, it's up to those people of the south to decide whether there will be war. But many other people have come here and uh, either made history here or, or were born here. Uh, Rachel Carson uh, in Springdale, right up the Allegheny River, really starts the modern environmental movement in 1962 with her uh, book, Silent Spring, about water uh, pollution. You got David McCullough Bridge, you got a Roberto Clemente Bridge, the Rachel Carson Bridge, right. and the Jimmy Crenn Bridge. I think that's being built. Yeah, yeah we're, we're working on we're that. Work, yeah. But yeah. 
All right. Any hints of what's in it? Can you give us any hint of what you're working on? Well, there are a number of projects that we're working on. I'm, I'm not going to reveal them okay. uh, today, but I'd say stay tuned because here at the History Center, we're not content to just preserve history. We're making it. Ooh. Love it. Andy Masick, President and CEO of the Heinz History Center here in Pittsburgh Strip District. I want to thank you uh, for your hospitality. Sheila, this is the fastest an hour's ever gone doing this. You know, Andy 34 is, is episodes. amazing <laughs> to listen to. He's just, he's like a walking encyclopedia. Of now we Pittsburgh go to history. lunch, then dinner, and spend the evening talking more about the history. Thanks, Andy. Thanks thank for you, having Andy. me. And you can download the free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. That's our parent company. That's access to a lot of great audio. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Crenn, Sheila Hyland, Jimmy back next week with us. want to thank Face for Radio Productions. Jim Petolsky, who's done an amazing job. And Marcello, who's working his magic behind the camera. Dick Roberts is our producer. And KDKRadio.com, a great resource. Mm -hmm. Sheila? It's been nice knowing you, Larry. That's a wrap <laughs> from the Heinz History Center. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.